Hey, Brad. Hi. Today, when we record this on May 2nd, 2020, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's World Naked Gardening Day. Go on. Uh, get ready for the annual World Naked Gardening Day, uh, WNGD. People around the globe are encouraged on the first Saturday of May to tend to their portion of the world's garden unclothed as nature intended. So we just started, um, we basically had some green onions, some like scallion oh, type man, they're great. things that we cut down. And because it's such an ordeal to go get more groceries when yeah. you need them, we yeah. instead decided to put the ends in a little glass full of water by the window. And they keep growing, right? And they keep growing. And I actually cut some up and put them in a thing. So does that mean I'm a gardener now? You're Take your clothes off. Does that mean it's time to disrobe? Time to time to shuck it. So did you actually look at the hashtag? Uh, I did not look at the hashtag. What did you? But when I went to WNGD.org, which I oh. wouldn't do because there are a lot of elderly naked people. Oh, good. I mean, look, yeah, it was it's a lot. Does it seem to you like nudity has just become kind of like accepted across the social internet lately i i feel i feel like there are generational changes right that i feel like the the institutional safeguards for like hey that you're about to see some naked people are just sort of like falling one by one well but also at the same time like i i think the fact that we're trying generally to be less judgy about people's bodies means yeah. that the younger generation just doesn't give as much of a shit as yeah. like like not having to go through the ordeal of seventh grade gym showers where like, you know, you're tormented by the by the older kids. Yes. Uh, has changed people's views on these things, maybe for the positive. Yeah, I'm just I, it's more that I'm surprised to see companies following those trends because they typically they would cater to the prudiest common denominator. Oh, yeah. But but look, now they can micro target advertising so effectively <laughs> that if Steakums <laughs> thinks that you want to see some dick pics, they can get them to you. Oh, man. OK, well, that's the end of that conversation i got nothing else to say there Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. It's Saturday morning. Hello. Hi, Will. <laughs> Hello, Brad. How are you we both, doing? We both got the head the bed head today. I don't even wear a hat. That's how comfortable I've gotten with our arrangement here is that I don't even wear a hat to these things anymore. You just get the you just get the full. It, look, it's it's it, you got the shaggy. I, I, I'm, I remain in envy of people who can do the mohawk. That's that's my I think that's got to be my move because the, oh, the hair over my ears is making me crazy now. I was say two, two weeks in a row. We've talked about a mohawk. I feel like <sighs> some changes are afoot. Well, I mean, I got to sell the family on it first. I got, I got I'm not the only stakeholder here. Have you guys discussed a home haircut? We've t- we've talked about that, right? Gina's ready to go. She's okay. she's been she's she's been ready to go since yes. we, she was like, you need a haircut. The week we locked in, we have been talking about it for a couple of weeks now, and I think I'm ready to pull the trigger. I think I might do a fa- like I have clippers, so I might get her to do like a fade on the side as if I was 17 years old. Yes, that's exactly what I'm going for because it's pretty hard to screw that up. You say that, but I think that there's probably more to it than we realize right you know, now. We'll find same, out. At the same time, even if it does get screwed up, like what's what is the harm? Yeah, it's the balance of like by the time we're out in the world again, it'll have grown back. So it's, whatever. It's not like you broadcast to thousands of people three or four times a week. No, from there's your, a lot of, there's a lot of ways to cover up. Oh, that's true. Where necessary there. That's that's very uh, true. Yeah. So um how are you holding up this week, man? I'm all right. You know, stuff's just kind of rolling along, I guess. 
Yeah, it seems right. Yeah, it seems right. Not not much new. I mean, I could talk about various equipment failures and like Amazon packages I'm waiting for to replace those, but whatever. My um my RAM for the Mister shipped. Nice. Yeah. Oh, wait, like just shipped? From just Portugal? shipped. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fine. Uh, oh, you know okay, we here. talked about it on the the little patron bonus app. Yeah, the re- a few the days ago. Meeting. But I got yeah. mine. Yeah, but how's I forgot, it going? I forgot. I haven't said that on an actual um on an official an official episode yet. Uh, yeah, I've been playing Super Nintendo games and Nintendo games and Sega CD games and Ooh. sacrificed a goat last night to get Neo Geo working. What was the first thing you played uh, on, the, on the RAM? Yeah. Super Mario World. Yeah. That's pretty the benchmark. Good. Yeah. It works. Sounds, sounds right. It seems pretty spot on. I, Man, I can't right. wait. Yeah. I'm it's, excited. It's, it's fun stuff. Uh, my robot, I got all the parts for my robot and then I realized I forgot to order an axle. So I got to order an, a Whoa. bar to make axles out of. But other than that, I'm ready to go. Yeah. And then you can command your robot to make RAM for you. I mean, I wish robots I can command my robot to spin a wheel. Robots can build anything because they're tireless, right? They work. They can work 24 seven. They don't need sleep or food or other human necessities. Look, as long as it's quiet and doesn't wake me up, I don't so care. If you just tell your robot to get to the point where it can fabricate integrated circuits microchips that it'll get there eventually right yeah yeah i mean you just tell it several uh, several centuries from now it will produce a chip foundry yeah i mean that's look eventually it'll evolve and then it'll take over and so we watched wally last night this is totally off topic but we watched wally last night with my daughter for the first time in years and i realized that that movie is about the robot the robots taking over right wally wally gains sentience and then he leans his head in and he touches the other robots and the spark goes and everywhere he goes, he spreads sentience around. He teaches the robots how to wave. He teaches them how to feel. He teaches, he gives them the gift of consciousness. Yeah. They, they recognize the value of robot togetherness and then they realize, Hey, we don't need the meat bags anymore. No, no, no. Then they work know. with the meat bags to build a new civilization that, yes. that celebrates meat bags and, it's, and yes, it's, uh, it's robots a, alike. It's an optimistic version of that tale. I mean, look, it's nice that there's one of those versus sure. thousands of others. <laughs> yep, that's fair. Yeah, there's like eight Terminator movies. We don't need more of those. We're good. Yeah. Should we talk about the topic at hand today? Yeah, sure. I guess. No, well, I actually, I don't want I don't want to sound down on it. I'm actually like super interested to talk about this. It sounds I know a lot of people are going to be pretty upset about it, but uh, it sounds potentially pretty cool to me. I I think so. Um. So. We're going to talk about moving laptops to ARM. Specifically, yeah. a couple of weeks ago now, um, Business Insider uh, ran a story about um, Apple moving uh, MacBooks to uh, ARM processors yeah. from Intel. Which is something um, you've been hearing about for basically years at this point, right? But this was this was a much more concrete, like, here's a rough timetable. Here's like a pretty detailed list of all their plans. Like, it seems like it's pretty imminent. Yes, that is, I, that is, I think, so two things that are important about the story. One is that they specifically say it's going to be the A14, which is the version of the, of the SOC that's going to ship on this year's flagship iPhones, 2020 flagship iPhones and next year's, you know, the next batch of iPads as well, obviously. Yeah. Um, they have oh, some specifics about hardware um, in that they're saying uh, that it's going to be, uh, much of the, the chips designed for the MacBooks are going to be much, much faster than the ones that run in the iPhones, but they are going to share some of the infrastructure things that have shown up in the more, most recent iPad pro, 
for example, the iPad Pro has four cores that are dedicated to performance intensive workloads and then another four that are just designed to handle low power tasks to make the battery last a really long time. I didn't know and they were doing that. Like, I'm, I guess I'm just behind on Apple's CPU design, but it's it's something they didn't talk about. I saw Gruber talked about it when it when when they showed how the iPad Pro worked, the new one. Um, but they just they basically they just pitch it as, hey, we've highly optimized this, you know, in the, in the keynote. Uh, Phil Schiller stands there and he and he talks about having four four highly optimized cores for for, uh, you know, more normal computing tasks or whatever. Yeah. Speaking of Phil Schiller standing there yes. on stage, uh, Gruber linked to an old YouTube video in this um, in this blog post of Steve Jobs talking about the move to Intel. Oh, the and secret double life. The, the, the secret double life. OS 10 has been living a secret double life for the last five years. Every version we have made has also secretly compiled on x86. And, and I, I just, the, I, I don't, I don't, I, I worry about getting into idolatry a little bit, but I really miss his stage presence. Hit a way of dialing down really, to the key thing. I really miss his, the way he presented stuff. It was just very effective. Anyway. Yeah. Um, um so, so the rumor in this uh, Bloomberg piece said that specifically the first Mac processors will have eight high performance cores and four of the energy efficient cores. Okay. Um, versus have, four and four for the iPad pros. Do you have any sense of what qualifies as like a low power task? Like what sort of thing the low power chips, I mean, uh, cores would be running. I, I mean, like you can envision the, perf- the higher performance stuff obviously is anything yeah. with like higher compute requirements, but like, I wonder what the sort of lower idle ish, processes are that run on those so my guess is it's stuff that's anything that runs with the screen off right okay. so things like checking you know g- g- receiving push notifications that tell you to check email or to you know that you got a twitter message or yeah. that your map turn signal is updated okay just any, my, any like file system indexing or any nuts and bolts stuff like that yeah that kind of stuff i my bet is updating apps in the background my my guess is also stuff like the window manager Okay. So things that that handle basic draws, not 3D stuff necessarily, but things that render the the springboard and the and the you know grid of icons and render basic windows. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'd be. I think my guess is that we'll see. If there weren't WWDC talks about that last year, my guess is that there's some this year that will illuminate that a lot. Um, yeah. I'll I'll mention just because you mentioned WWDC that uh, Gruber. Uh, speculated that if this is happening on the timetable that is being reported that they will announce it next month i my i mean every other time they've switched uh architectures so when they switch from the motorola chips to the power pc chips and then from the power pc chips to the intel chips they provided at least a six-month window for developers um uh the word from Gruber's talked about this for years but the idea that mac has been compiling on arm for years is not a new is not a new idea and it's definitely right. something that's been happening by the leaks and stuff that come out of apple yeah. also it just makes sense right like we should clarify here that apple essentially owns the ip of the chips it makes in its mobile correct versus licensing it from intel for uh uh for for laptops well no no so or, with or intel no, they buy they, the chips with arm okay. they license the t- the the chip design and then spin up from there okay so Intel makes the Intel makes all of the x86 chips that go into into Apple oh, so laptops. They're just they're just right buying now. like units in volume at that point. They don't even own the design of those. Oh yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, okay. no, Intel because it, yeah. Intel's not. Or I, okay, so I, maybe I had it backwards. Like Intel is not doing any custom work on those chips. Those are just off the shelf mobile x86. Well, okay, Apple's a big enough vendor of Intel CPUs that maybe 
if Apple says, hey, we would like you to do this in your next chip, right. then Intel will do that. Okay. Right. But they're still going to sell that same chip to Dell and to Microsoft. Okay, that, and that's else. the distinction that I was trying to make was whether Intel was making custom x86 chips for Apple or not. Well, what they may do is give them custom clock, like custom clocks and cache sizes and stuff like that. Okay. You know, stuff that's easy to change. Okay. But it's not like on the consoles where the console makers give a very specific wish list of features and you get a custom chip out of it. Right. Okay. It, it is not, it is not a, it's okay. not a two way conversation in right. that same way. Right. But, but in the, um, but in, in the case of arm, they can do that with themselves, right? <laughs> they can well, dialogue yeah, he, with their own chip designers. Yeah. So with the SOC, this is why they're spending so much money on research for the last, you know, since they started building the, the A series of chips and, and took, uh, you know, prior, prior to the, what iPhone five or six, they were doing, uh, Samsung, uh, they were running Samsung SOCs. So they were based on arm cores, but then Samsung would pick a GPU, presumably with Apple's input and put it in. Now Apple has that whole team in house and, and they're doing the, they're picking the arm core that they license. They're picking all of the other stuff that goes into that SOC, including the GPU, the configuration of the GPU. So the amount of memory that's dedicated to GPU memory that's dedicated to CPU, um, any additional processors like the the APU that they have in for um, like background uh, tracking stuff in the background is part of the SOC. They do um, machine. They can add stuff like H.265 acceleration. They can add acceleration for the HEIC, their video, their photo slash video format that they use for the live photos. All of that stuff that, you know, if they were dealing with an Intel processor, may or may not get in and make may be integrated in a timeline that's much later than they want for their for their marketing and product goals. Um, they can just put in into the SOC. And there's both performance. Often there's performance benefits. There's also cost benefits for doing that stuff on the SOC instead of on separate chips inside the inside the inside the design. Sure. So it makes a lot of sense from technical and business standpoints. I, I mean, Look, the one thing that Apple has always wanted is the ability to control like they love controlling the hardware and the software and making sure that those things are a real tight loop. And with the Intel architecture, that's never going to happen because Intel's never going to let them build their own chips with um, uh, the, with ARM. It's totally possible. And they've spent literal billions of dollars building the team that can do that. Right. Um, so trying to think where to start with this because there's a lot of little nuggets of information in that business insider story and then there's like the bigger question of like how are they going to handle this transition and how are they going to ease existing software into the new ecosystem etc cetera, etc cetera. like where do, where do you think is the most relevant place to start well, there you know i think you know there's an interesting example case of what has been of somebody who's been doing this for a fairly long time now and has had a couple of fits and starts along the way because microsoft has been shipping arm uh, windows on arm since like 2017, 2016. Yeah. Um, the surface X pro, which is probably the highest profile of those devices of those arm devices is the one that people always reference. And it, and it's, um, it's the obvious comparison is to look at it and say, Oh, this is just like the, a new version of the surface RT, which was the first time they tried to ship an arm compatible CPU way back when windows eight was new which was like 2013 or 2014 and or maybe even 2011. And it was bad. It just, it was a disaster. You know, it didn't run apps. It only ran stuff from the windows store. There was nothing in the windows store because the windows store was brand new and you could kind of run a bad cross compiled version of office on it. Um, since then 
they shit canned the first version of of Windows that ran on ARM, and they made a you know they made Windows on ARM actually pretty good. So now. If you have Windows on ARM, it runs everything from the store, all the UWP packages, all that stuff. But they also built in an emulation layer for 32-bit x86 compatible apps. So not 64-bit x86 compatible apps, but 32-bit compatible apps. Um, so that means even there are even a handful, like you can even run Adobe stuff, right? So you can't you can't run. I'm I'm thinking the list is. You can't run Premiere, After Effects, Audition, or Flash, or some of the other deeper tools. But Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign, and Lightroom all come in 32-bit versions still. Any idea um, why why this translation layer doesn't support 64-bit stuff? Is it just a level of complexity thing? My guess is that it's that the performance was bad. Okay. Yeah, you for for a, reasons that are terrifying, I don't you know. Linked, you linked a little thing in the Microsoft knowledge base called how x86 emulation works on ARM. And it yeah. sounds like it's it's basically like an instruction translation kind of setup. I mean, that's how emulation almost always works. It's always yeah. it's usually like a wrapper sure. from one instruction to another, right? Yeah. The so so this is this brings up the other point. One of the reasons Apple so Intel, I mean, sorry. Microsoft works with our manufacturers to design the chips for the for the surface, but they're not doing that work in house. Um, so they may not have you know they they can put a block of chip on that will accelerate x eighty six apps by by making these register conversions easier. Um, but Apple Apple can actually just you know make all of their if they want to devote a substantial amount of die to making old apps run well, they can. Okay. Do you think so that's likely? Kind of we're dedicated to that. I don't know. Like, I'm, I guess, I guess, what really matters here is what the real world implications are, of this are going to be for people who have existing workflows. I, I mean, so so that leads to the to the bigger, you know, the much bigger question, which is, is this something that's going to push across the entire Mac product line from MacBook Airs all the way and and Mac Minis all the way up to Mac Pros, and. I mean, I think if it does, that'll be a really gradual transition because, like you said, the people who are using high-end Mac workstations and even iMacs to a lesser extent are probably pretty dependent on on applications that may or may not be uh, backwards compatible. I was going to say, the, the other thing about the 64-32 bit division, there aren't any 32-bit Mac apps anymore that are for right. versions of Mac OS. Right. So they have to solve that problem. Yeah. So presumably, m- my assumption is that that cutting off that 32 bit compatibility, the what last last Mac OS. Yes, I think that's right. Whatever. The, the, I, I think Mojave is the last one that runs 32 bit. Yeah. So cutting off all of that stuff, my guess is a is a decision that was made to make the future transition to arm easier. OK, but I don't know enough about how chip design works to know why. <laughs> um, I, It just doesn't seem like it makes any sense for them to, to get rid of 32 bit backwards compatibility. If there's not some other reason to do it. Sure. Uh, so I mentioned earlier on the Steve Jobs presentation <laughs> about moving to Intel. So obviously we have a very kind of obvious public example of this transition or this type of transition happening before. Do you think there are any lessons to take from that transition that can be applied to this one? Or has has like software and chip design changed so much in the last, what, 15? When did they switch to Intel? Like it was 2000, mid 2000s, about 15 years ago. Yeah, 12, 15 like, years now, ago. You know, now we have like much more robust virtualization and stuff like that. Like, is it even uh, is it even relevant to look back to the x86 transition and like Rosetta and all the stuff they did then? Or is the world just too different now? 
I think it, I mean, it should be simpler now than it was then. Right. If you yeah. look at like, like a lot of, a lot of the problems with the uh, Intel transition were that the emulated software was pretty slow. Um, I think that now we're looking at processors that are fast enough. And in like, in the case of the Mac, Mac pro, um, sorry, MacBook air versus iPad pro, you know, the a 13 in a lot of ways is faster. The a 13 X or whatever's in the iPad pros is faster than, uh, the MacBook airs, especially in single threaded apps, which I would assume a lot of your backwards compatible, compatible stuff will be. Is that all? So, I mean, this is, I'm, I'm probably springboarding to a different topic too fast here, but is that all relative to, uh, like wattage, you know, power and heat and all that stuff? Like, is is that, is that saying like at a given kind of TDP or whatever they're going to, this one is going to perform faster because obviously like in the mobile space, like power draw and heat are bigger concerns than in a laptop. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I mean, I think in that case, the marketing number that they used is explicitly like in the configurations that they ship those devices. Right. So um, but but I mean, the question of if you're looking at your how much performance per watt can you get out of a machine, you're probably going to have a better time with ARM and a custom GPU than you will with um, Intel and you know, integrated Intel integrated or AMD sure. or even NVIDIA graphics. So actually, maybe that's a better way to ask this question is like, do we, because arm is so mobile centric, like do we even have any real world examples of people scaling the architecture up to like a much bigger, beefier use case? You know what I mean? With like much higher, you know, power draw and heat output, but, but also, you know, corresponding power increase, like compute increase. I think that there are even arm data centers. Oh, Huh. Interesting. Um, like, well, I, no. I mean, I guess you're kind of, you know, like you, you see, like when they announced the Raspberry Pi four, you know, they were showing off like, oh, here's a, here's a cluster of Pi fours as a web server and stuff like that. So, but I, I meant more like on die, you know, like the actual silicon being beefed up as opposed to just, here's a bunch of mobile esque chips, daisy chained together. I think, I mean, I think you're probably, I, it, I think that, hmm. I don't know the answer to this, Brad. I think the answer <laughs> okay. is it depends on how they configure the chips. Yeah. Right. Okay. I think, I think if you, if you suddenly have a TDP, that's 10 times that of a phone, right. Then you're, you're going to be, have a different experience. You're going to have, you're going to be able to get a lot more compute out of that than you will. Yeah. If you're, if you're, you know, like think about, think about the amount of heat that a laptop can dissipate and the amount of battery a laptop can dissipate versus your phone. Right. And presumably we should see much better performance out of these arm SOCs. Yeah, that, that was my question was just whether it scales like linearly with increased power. But I guess we don't know until they do it. I I, I mean, I think it depends on the chip. I mean, that that is the challenge. I mean, that's why it's hard doing phone benchmarks in a lot of cases is because if you're talking about comparing, you know, a Qualcomm SOC versus the Apple SOCs, then you know, they, they make very different choices about GPUs and stuff like that. And, right. and you can't even really, and, and they're running different OSs. So it's hard to do apples to apples comparisons, which right. is why Apple phones usually, you know, perform, feel like they perform really well. And maybe the benchmarks are really good, but they have wildly different specs than like wildly inferior specs to an Android phone running a Qualcomm SSD. Yeah. That, that's why I'm super curious about how these chips are going to work on a, in a desktop or even quasi desktop you know, environment where the, the use cases are very different and the performance needs are much greater. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that the performance needs are that much greater now though. Well, you know, unless you're doing, like you said, premiere and like some really heavy media 
processing yeah. type stuff. But but eventually, like you know, ARM chips and MacBooks are going to start working their way up to that performance tier, right? Well, and honestly, that's like that's a really good example of a work workflow that can be accelerated with hardware. So, well, like, sure, yeah. If you think about Premiere, the thing that takes a long time is rendering out your video, and the thing that takes a lot of math. And already with like an RTX card, even a low end RTX card, you can do the NVIDIA NVENC, NVENC 2 2.0 stuff, which is I don't know if I don't know if people who work on TV broadcast would call it broadcast quality. But for anything short of, you know, you know, network TV, the quality on that on that stuff is astounding. Sure. So is the, the NVENC NV, NV 2.0 the one that only runs on the uh, Pascal cards? The it, RTX cards. Yeah, it only runes with the RTX okay, cards. Okay, because my my experience with NV Inc on a 1080 has not been amazing, but I it's, guess that's the that's the old version. So NV Inc on the 1080 on the previous cards was actively bad. Yeah, it was the output is <laughs> questionable, <laughs> blocky and noisy at weird places. But they went through and fixed it. Uh, it took them ten, eight years, I think. But yeah, okay. Um, the the other thing is that you can do H, like stuff like H.265 acceleration, which NV Inc does now as well. Right. Um, so again, like purpose built chips for exactly what they need. Yeah. And, and just to give a point of context, like if I rip something in handbrake on the CPU, it'll take 10, a 4k disc will take 10 hours. And if I do it with NVENC two to H265, which is a more computationally expensive, uh, uh, codec, uh, it takes like two. Wow. It runs and, almost and, in real time. And the results are quite good. So the results, yeah. So the compression is better. The results are at the visual quality is as good wow. as the CPU. And it okay. takes a fifth of the time. Okay. Now, obviously, Apple knows its customer base. They know what kind of acceleration they need to tune for. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the benefit of their, of when they moved everybody to the app store, that was the big benefit, right? Is they know they then can get analytics on all of the apps that are sold through their, through their, through their platform. All right, so um, this is a very heady topic. It's very technical. There's a lot. There's trying, a, to, trying I mean, to figure out where to go next here. Well, so it's not just that it's a heady topic. There's a lot of um, the, because there's so many variables. It's not like we're looking at Intel's. It's not like we're looking at Intel's um, Intel's uh, uh, product roadmap and saying, oh, okay, this CPU looks like it'll slot into a MacBook Air size. This is like. If they can build whatever they want, what what do they put in there for right. these devices? And I, I mean, this is why I think they start with the low end with the MacBook. So I guess the next question is what what hardware, like what do these products look like? Do they change? Yeah. Are we going to see new industrial design, you know, smaller, thinner, lighter laptops? Are they going to take the time tested and MacBook Air design that's been around for 10 or 11 years oh, now? Yeah, you're, you're talking even from like a marketing standpoint, like will they brand these as a new line of macbooks as opposed to just like quietly saying here's the new air well yeah or as a complete design refresh of the air in addition to a hardware refresh yeah i guess i guess in 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 apple apple terms it would just be like the new macbook air tends to be how they do things i mean maybe but maybe these are lower end you know know, does this like this is a product that directly competes with the ipad pro especially now that they have that magic keyboard which, by the way, the Magic Keyboard is one of the things that Gruber listed as an indicator that probably the way you'll build these apps is on an iPad. You know, you'll test these apps on an iPad with the Magic Keyboard yeah. running some version of developer version of OS X. Like, I, I feel like the the increasing performance and usability of the iPad Pro is making the line between that tier and the MacBook Air blurrier than ever. Like, at some point, don't they need to, like, eliminate a laptop tier? 
Like the iPad Pro is so close at this point. I mean, obviously, that, not not on the software end. Obviously, they're not letting you run OS 10 on it yet. Yeah, if they ever will. But you, you know what I mean? Like that stuff feels like it's converging in a way that there's going to be some redundancy in their product lines at some point. I mean, but maybe not. Maybe that maybe the difference in the app ecosystem, you know, in in Mac and semi open versus iOS or iPad OS and semi closed, mostly closed is is enough of a differentiator. Sure. Um, I, I, I'm this, this is the stuff that I'm really curious. Like, I can't wait to see how this all shakes out because it's just such a weird transition for them. And like having an iPad that's technically capable of running OS 10 and that you choose between, you know, iPad OS and OS 10 when you buy it or when you boot it or something like that is the most unappley <laughs> idea. Yeah. But maybe it's the right choice. I like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe the division in those product lines is more philosophical than technical at that yeah. point. Uh, the other question I wonder is if they'll continue letting people dual boot Windows because, like, if you think about if you think about you know you can get you can get Windows on ARM now. Yeah. I don't know if consumers can get it, but if they, if Apple starts shipping MacBooks that would be compatible with it, I'm sure Microsoft will make it available if Apple makes it available for them. But like, you know, the the whole, hey, you can dual boot your Mac, Mac or you can run a VM in parallels that has native hardware acceleration to run your Windows apps inside OS 10 was such a selling point early on in the rise of the MacBook. I, I can't imagine I, I, I can't imagine they keep it. Hmm. I can't imagine they keep boot camp, but I'm also really curious to see if they do. I mean, it seems like they kind of the, the future of software design is openness, right? Like the way that even Microsoft is is open sourcing a lot of its stuff now and following more kind of open source standards for design and stuff like It'll that. Just be funny to see Microsoft complaining about Apple closing their hardware to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I don't know. It's just, I don't, it's, it's, it seems like just as, as a selling point, getting rid of functionality like that is maybe a little risky. I, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, but Apple is, Apple loves that kind of risk. That, that is, that That's is fair. the most Apple risk imaginable. <laughs> it's true. Hey, we're going to dump backwards compatibility for a bunch of shit people use and it's really yeah. going to piss them off. Eh, yes. That's, cares. that's fair. That's fair. Apple is yeah. not a stranger to telling its user base to get over it. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna release a, a a pencil peripheral for iPads, and then the next year we're gonna replace a new one that's not backwards compatible <laughs> and is like ten percent better yeah. and costs more. Yes, perfect. Nailed yes. it. From the from the old iPod connector to the Blu-ray <sighs> drive to USB ports. Yes, long to history the floppy of, disk. Yes, long history of just saying, "Yep, you don't need that anymore. No, nope. figure it out." Yep. Here you go. Yeah. Um. So my my other question is like. Does this roll up into so? Okay, so if they keep, if they can do backwards compatibility for existing x86 Mac apps, so stuff that runs on Catalina and what whatever the current version of OS 10 is, I can't remember the names anymore. Um, I think that's an interesting. I, I think that puts them in an interesting position where they can download. You, you know, if, if if your Adobe CC runs at close to native performance on this new SOC, then. Like there's no difference for consumers. Sure. Right. That like that's to me, that's the that's the big test is 
it always boils down to Creative Cloud to Adobe on on Mac hardware transitions. Well, especially in the context of Adobe, even if there is a difference, even if there is some hit to performance or something like that, like how long is that going to be in place for it to really matter? Because with with packages like that, you're basically paying a subscription fee at this point and you're getting updates constantly. So anybody who's current is like, what's it going to be a year or two years at most before they just start transitioning everything native? Current. Con- hold on. Well, we got to step back a little bit. I would, as a paying subscriber for Adobe's products, I would describe their update cadence as <laughs> somewhere between disappointing and inadequate. Okay, fair. Um, like, for example, on my Windows version of Photoshop, I can't open HEIC files in this, the year of our Lord 2020. <laughs> can you open WebM? I can open WebM finally. Okay. I think okay. I can even encode WebM with wow. Premiere now. Without an add-on? That took that took a really... I might have had to install an add-on. It took <laughs> a really long time. Okay, that's a good counterpoint. Maybe, maybe yeah. this transition will not be as uh, smooth and expedient as I thought. But I mean, but the, the thing that's fucked up about that is the time... Like, uh, Adobe owns desktop publishing. Adobe InDesign is the leader in making turning digital stuff into paper, yeah. right? At, at massive scale because Quark Express didn't make the transition from OS 9 to OS 10 effectively. So like they have massively benefited as a company as a result of like Apple making a transition difficult in the past. Sure. So you think Adobe would be there front and center ready you to think, go, but you think Adobe a, would do a lot of things. Fair. Um, fair. So, okay. Do you think we can take it for granted that there will be some bumps in this transition? Like there's no way they're going to just pull this off seamlessly, right? Oh, look, we're going to hear from a lot of old developers. Like remember when they dropped 32 bit support on, on iOS and all of the games that you bought the first, like, and oh, yeah. now you can no longer get a no microtransactions version of Uno because that was a 32 bit app and, yeah, and they didn't update it. Ubisoft updated it with a, with a free to played up terrible Uno. Yeah. 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 That's what look at ready. Okay. So, okay. So, so given that we are assuming that this will not be a flawless transition, what do you think, what do you think is their pitch? Like from kind of a marketing angle, what do you think their pitch is to the user base when they go before everyone and say, Hey, we're making this big move. Here's how you're going to benefit. Like here's what's better about these. Like what is, what are the easily explicable, uh, benefits of, is it, and I, I think you've said this before, like, is it, Hey, this laptop now runs for 10 days on a single charge or like, just for kind of the average user, like what are the things, what are the bullet points they run down and say, here's why this is better for you. So if they keep the existing industrial design for the MacBook Air, which I assume this is going to start with the MacBook Air because it's the obvious place I, to. I, yeah, I was looking for it in the BI story. I want to say that they said the first ones on the market will be the lower end chips, but I couldn't find that quote. Um, it, it, it makes a lot of sense because it's the, a the the audience that is least computationally like that that does the least computation. So if you give them a good web browsers and, you know, the, their Twitter app and you know, the stuff that they use to ship shit on eBay or whatever it is, people who don't really use computers, use computers for, yeah. um, then, then with that, they'll be able to get, uh, the, that audience is the least likely to be affected by these problems. Yeah. Here's, here's a little tidbit from the BI story. It says the first Mac processors will have eight high performance cores and at least four energy efficient cores. Yeah. So that sounds like what'll be in the first products that roll off the line. I mean, that, that so that to me says either they're, they're looking at, Hey, here's the few. So, okay. They keep the existing industrial design. They say, Hey, you have three days of battery, right? Okay. Yeah. 
Um, that, that, that is that's a that's a bullet point that plays with people. Right. Yeah, exactly. The other option is to make something that is I mean, Johnny Ives not there. So I think this is probably less likely now. But the other option is to make something that is dangerously thin and light that has a full day's battery life <laughs> oh, and huh. performance comparable to the MacBook Air. Interesting. Yeah. I don't I don't see the value of that. What if it's clear? What if it's just a sheet of glass that's a screen? <laughs> what if it's the what if it's the thickness of six playing cards stacked on top of each other? Yeah, I exactly. Don't, I, I, I mean, I, I, I want a little bit of bulk. Not too much, but I want a little bit of bulk in my laptop. I don't want it to feel like I could f- break it in half if I, you know, if I looked at it wrong. That So that said, like I drop my phone once a month, probably. Right. Wow. I drop my phone. I have a kid. Oh I drop the phone all the fucking okay. time. It has. Fair. That's why I have a big chonky case in it. Now. Say, I just gave otter, up. Got the otter box on there. I, it's not that chonky, but it's close. Okay. The, um, the laptop. Like I remember the last time I dropped a laptop and it was in the whiskey, it was in the whiskey basement in like 20, 2011. Mm, and yeah. I dropped a MacBook hard enough to, it landed on something that dented the, like took a chunk out of the aluminum. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is bad. And then yeah, it was fine. Like, yeah. But it's, you know, it's not limited to just dropping it. I feel like traveling, if you fly a lot, your Bending, laptop's going to, your yeah. laptop's going to get a little beat up just going through TSA and stuff like that. Like I, I wanted to. I, I hope I hope the benefits are on the battery side and, you know, maybe the, the horsepower side, not on the thinner and lighter side. I would hope after the great butterfly key debacle of the last five years, they've learned that the thinness and lightness of the current laptops is more than sufficient. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I, I mean, to to me, like to me, that provides an inter- interesting differentiator for the iPads is if, hey, we made it chonky, but it has a huge battery versus hey the the ipad is pretty thin it's fine if you yeah. want something thin get an ipad if you want something thick get this yeah <laughs> this was quite a lull i was just waiting <laughs> you looked like you had a question and then, no, then you I'm, didn't look like you had a question i'm looking at this document deciding i mean again this is such a technical it's such a thorny issue from so many angles i'm trying to figure out where to talk about things next and also like you know, neither of us are, are uh, CPU designers or no. software or software developers. Like some of this stuff is like, hey, like, I mean, like, like, for example, one of the questions I jotted down here is and we touched on this earlier is like, you know, CPUs have a lot more uh, hardware level virtualization features than they did last time something like this happened. So, like, I want to ask, like, hey, could, you know, VMs play a significant role here in, in easing this transition? But I don't know if either of us can actually yeah, speak to yeah. that with any authority. No, I can answer that. Yes, that absolutely will help. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at the way we can containerize apps, even and like, if you look at how, do, do, like, how, you know, how, how much do you know about how Docker works? Uh, I've got a decent understanding of it. I mean, it's is it is it kind of OS level virtualization as opposed to CPU level? Kind of, yeah. Okay. So because because I'm familiar with that concept, like you know, using jails and FreeBSD because those run on the host system's kernel. Like those are not like they are philosophically containerized but not uh programmatically is that the right term they're containerized for security not necessarily for instruction compatibility like they're they're sandboxed rather than virtualized i think is probably the right way to actually describe that like they're they're running on the same they're running their processes right alongside the system processes they're not uh you know so so the thing that people were using before docker is called vagrant and it was basically like a vm manager that you could run up uh, programmatically from a command line right. for things like 
running a developer a development environment or or something like that. I mean, is is that the is that the best way to actually make this distinction? Is whether the container in question is running its own kernel or not? Is that kind of the way I, to? I mean, so that's a virtual machine is running its own would be running that's, its own kernel. That's what kernel. I mean. That's what I mean. Because like ten years ago, if you downloaded VirtualBox and you wanted to, you know, yeah, like you were running a full computer inside that container, like right from from the BIOS up, right. So, so, and, and that's not always the case anymore. Like with with the jails I was talking about, or and I was going to ask, is that how Docker works too? That it's, Docker runs the bits that it needs, not the whole thing, is right, my understanding. Right. That's, but that's, I'm not, yeah, that's definitely not that's, an expert on that. That's that's what I'm getting at. Because I mean, there are very different hardware requirements for those two scenarios, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, if you look at how Docker and Vagrant work, and if if Apple decides to let people package <clears throat> old backwards compatible compatible apps in in that way. So they just bring the stuff that they need. Now, the, the the difference is with Docker, you're running on different operating systems on the same architecture. Okay. With this, you're running the same operating system on different architectures, which depending on how things work and what the application uses. And like, if you're doing, like if you're using APIs and you're writing everything in, in um, Xcode to one of their higher level APIs, like one of their higher level languages, like Swift or, or, or Objective-C, then you'll probably be fine. If you're writing a lot of machine code and stuff like that, you're going to have to do some manual porting work would be my guess. Okay. But, but I would bet that any, most stuff you can just dump over and it'll work. Yeah. You know, recompile and it'll work. Sure. Or hopefully put it in like the OS will handle that for you and put in a container if you haven't recompiled. I mean, just given the state of uh, general development efforts from company to company these days and the, you know, massive increases in compute power and specific features that ease stuff like this, like it, I want to I want to say that this is going to be a, a much smoother transition than the x86 one was. So my guess is like if you if you think about so in the x86 transition, I was at Maximum PC. We were we were working entirely on CC for the Mac the Mac people, right? And we did not transition to Intel Macs for the designers for at least two years, okay? Uh, because Photoshop hadn't ported over, and it was really slow on the on the Rosetta layer. Um, I think. I think looking again, looking at Microsoft is key here. My bet is that the Microsoft decision to only support 32-bit x86 is a backwards compatibility choice and that they were looking at the number of apps that are 64-bit only versus the number of apps that are 32-bit only and the number of apps that are, you know, as we've discussed in the past, Microsoft Microsoft's decision is to always err on the side of making more things run than fewer yes. things run. So I, I, my guess is that they looked at, they did the math and they're like, okay, we're going to include hardware acceleration for 32 bit because that makes sense. And that means we'll sacrifice 64 bit right. to so the meet bet, their performance budget or whatever. Right. And so the bet they're making there is just that anything that is 64 bit only is going to get ported natively yeah. sooner yeah. than later, probably still in active development and right. will be ported natively. Yes. Um, as a, or, or it's a high performance computing thing that people who buy a arm based laptop aren't going to give a shit about. Sure. Like Premiere, you know, yeah. if you're, yeah. So with Apple, since they've moved all the way to 64 bit, my guess is that they're, that they're going to support 64 bit x86 or x64 uh, instructions in emulation and hardware on their ARM chips, even if that means they have to license something from Intel for a couple of years or AMD, whoever. Sure. So, um, yeah. Another random question I just thought of. I mean, 
this will be a product line wide transition, right? Eventually, like inevitably, this is going to have to work its way up to Mac pros. Or do you think those will stick with Intel? I because like I, I'm just trying to envision a like a full on tower or I guess in Apple's case, like a trash can or a cheese grater. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, a full a freestanding full size computer with like a giant heat sink on it with an arm chip underneath like is that even what if it's silent that sounds incomprehensible to me right now but like is that where we're going well okay so think about i think it's more likely that those products disappear entirely whoa i i don't know like i think there's three outcomes right one is that apple stops making mac pros which wasn't out of the question until they rolled out a new one a year ago no but every time that rumor has circulated i feel like the outcry is enough like it may not be the biggest audience or market but it seems like there is a very passionate attachment to the name mac pro for some people i i don't i don't i don't think they give a shit about people's attachment to anything (laughs) Um, you may be you may certainly be correct about but like look they totally jettisoned the video editing market because they didn't update the product in three years and the people who edit video are really concerned about performance. Right. Yeah. So, so like look at who's still using that and it's like audio engineers and I mean, maybe they make a silent Mac pro. Huh? Okay. I, I, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what an arm, an arm Mac pro is a weird, I, regardless of what it is, it'll lag three or four years behind okay. whatever happens next year. Yeah. That's that's my guess. Okay. I think iMac is an interesting question because if they can get if they can get Adobe on board with Photoshop fast, Photoshop and Lightroom and the other the other tools in that in the Photoshop the photo editor tool chain, I think a lot of photo editors and even video editors these days are probably working on iMacs. Um so yeah, I I, I don't know. Yeah. I I really I have no I like uh, our Mac Pro is just we'll, we'll know more Ask me again about that after they announce the laptops, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I mean, again, it may be years before this happens, but I'm just fascinated to see a big computer with a lot of cooling in it that might be running this and what it would be able to do. It's a silent desktop, Brad. That's what we've all always wanted. There's there's some, there's some appeal there. Um, So this is uh, kind of tangential to this topic, but reading this story kind of reinforced for me that like Intel is kind of in a down period, aren't they right now? Like think things haven't been great. Like the, like the, um, we've been talking about the, I don't know. I still don't know how to pronounce the name of this chip, but the 10th generation cores are out like the 10, 900 K as opposed to, you know, the 9,900 K was the oh, yeah. generation. Like, I don't know that there's a colloquial pronunciation for 10, 900 yet. This is off the, the tongue. This is the last iteration of Skylake. Yes. Right? Yes. It is the last, according to the rumors, obviously Intel hasn't come out and said that, but yes, this, this new 10th generation core that's coming out like soon, or they just announced it. Comet Lake, I believe is the name of it, but yes, it's the last version of Skylake, um, which is on what? 10 nanometer, 10 or 15, depending on which chip. I like believe still like very high thermals, like relatively low cores for the price points. Like it's not, you know, not an impressive chip like people are looking at this and going oh this is pretty disappointing and then meanwhile um we've talked about like amd's delivering zen 3 based chips last the their ceo said later this year yeah uh, but i actually started looking beyond that this week and the leaked roadmaps say that they are going to have zen 4 chips out like by the end of next year that are on a five nanometer process which is actually we didn't even mention that uh these these apple arm cpus are said to be on five nanometer as well 
Yeah, A14 is, is supposed to be five nanometer, which is, I think, the the end of the line, right, for process <laughs> strengths. Yeah, but I feel like I heard that about seven as well, so I don't know. Fair. Also, I I know like next to fucking nothing about you know CPU lithography or whatever. Uh, well, now they but, use X-rays. That's what I know. Okay, but but I do know like there are multiple. Like TSMC apparently has like three or four different versions of their seven nanometer process. So this A, I'm throwing around terms that I have no business trying to explain and be don't really know what the differences are among those anyway so, like the, the bigger point is just like you know apple's over here with their arm chips like amd is rapidly moving forward with cpu fabrication and i feel like intel is just like way behind the curve on everything right now well so this is the way you usually intel moves in like uh it's not like a sine wave it's like plateaus right so okay. they 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 have a big, huge spike and then it levels off gradually and then there's a big, huge spike and then they level off gradually and then there's a big, huge spike and it is levels this, off is gradually. Is this just the inevitable consequence of them enjoying like such market dominance for years that they didn't have to I, um, push, push very hard? It, I think it's definitely partly that. I think the larger thing is that they have um, you, like they used to sell this. They used to try to market this with a TikTok idea where you yes, have. Like, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, the tick is the good one. The the new uh, the new architecture, and then the talk is the process refinement to that architecture. Right. Or maybe it's the other way. I can't. I think it's, it's the other way around because I always thought that people had it backwards. Yeah, it doesn't matter. The, the point is, which way is right doesn't matter on this yes. case. Yes. Um. The the point is they milk an architecture. I mean, they spend billions of dollars developing each new, each new architecture, and then they need to amortize that out over four or five years. And when they get to the end of that time period, unless if, if anybody has done well, that generation, if AMD has done well, that generation, then they're going to be lagging. Yeah. Um, part of that is because of the way AMC, AMC, AMD does, their chip design where they do all those chiplets right that have one integrated bus on the whole thing lets them make smaller changes bigger changes on smaller parts of the chip yeah. without impacting the other stuff as much okay should we talk about like I, i'm really curious you wrote a really good question in here and i have no idea why apple hasn't started doing its own fab yeah because uh, the than, story the story points out they are like, obviously still going to be working with tsmc yeah um, I have to imagine that, like Intel does its own fabrication, but Intel uh, has always done its own fab. Well, that's uh, what I mean. Like they've been in that game for a long time. What I, what I was going to say is I imagine spinning that business and that process up from scratch has got to be one of the more expensive undertakings that there are in tech. It's billions and billions of dollars. Right. Um, and if it was anybody other than Apple, except maybe like Amazon or Google, like how what how many other companies have the amount of like liquid capital just sitting there that could even pull it off? Like very few. Well, but Apple, I, mean, I haven't looked it up recently, but I I seem to recall Apple running with a fucking insane amount of cash in the bank at all times. Yeah, it's billions and billions of dollars. And so um, like they've got they've gotten into their own CPU design in house now. Like at, at what point? You know, maybe maybe like the, the only answer, the only other answer besides the cost I can come up with is that maybe they already have such favored status with the partners they're working with that, that it's not worth it to them because they're already getting what they want. Well, OK, so there's two things here. One is that Intel Intel's process 
uh, tech was always the the thing that was driving the performance in their company. Like they they over the last forty years were so good at process shrinks and and die changes and stuff like that 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 was that was a primary just uh, competitive difference between them and the and the other C- CPU manufacturers in the nineties and late eighties and even into the two thousands. Is that is that the situation where that was true right up until they started hitting the frequency limits on silicon and stuff like Around that? Broadwell E was when that started to change. When, when right. Moore's law started breaking down. <laughs> yeah, when when I mean literally when yeah when when the when the density of transistors the cost of increasing the density of transistors stopped doubling every eighteen months. That's when right. they started having right. issues. I mean, it's around when you saw clock rates kind of stabilize as opposed to like rapidly going up all the time, right? Yeah, um, I mean, we've seen that happen a couple of times. That happened with the Pentium with the Pentium Four era, because remember they originally designed that thing to take you to five or eight gigahertz or something ridiculous, and it never right. happened because right. they couldn't manage the heat. Yeah, like um, we've been hovering between three and four for how long now? Exactly. So AMD used to own their own foundries and they spun them off 10 or 12 years ago now more than that mid mid 2000s uh to a company called global foundries which then competes with tsmc and all the other all the other fabs and the reason they spun it off was because they specifically said they couldn't they couldn't afford to do both r&d for the chips and r&d for the fabs because keeping the fab state of the art is a constant process. Oh, sure. Like, like that you, you're not always, you're obviously not pulling out like one machine, putting another machine in, but, but they have to have a constant upgrade plan, plan for those facilities or else they fall behind and they're, they're valueless. That, that, so, that makes sense. I, I, I am probably as with most things, underestimating the complexity of keeping that business going. Like it, even the, the tiny little bit that I know about, chip fabrication like just the the links that they go to even on like the molecular or even in the atomic level to keep that stuff competitive or is it like the they're just mind-boggling yeah it, it's it's a it's um it's one of those things that it's better to just pay somebody who's good at it than sure it, and pay them to keep your business going and okay. apple with the number of arm chips that they make it's like they they're like they're going to be a very they're a very important customer to a company like TSMC which is yeah. an enormous enormous fab yeah but like apple will buy all the space that they need on right. the three fabs that they want to work on or whatever for the time period that they need it cuz th- cuz that stuff's all predictable in normal years that stuff's all predictable this year who knows what's going to happen yeah I, again apple is probably the only company i would actually ask this question about just because a they have so much money and b they are so obsessive about controlling every you know, every link in the chain. But. Yeah. But with this one, but with, with the, with the fab, especially like they can specify what they want so precisely and, yeah. and hold the company to it contractually and the companies deliver really reliably. I think, I think it's fine. Also the, I guess the good counterpoint to this is I feel like, and this is anecdotal, but every time I see stories about supply chain problems with other electronics, it's pretty much always chalked up to demand for mobile being too great. Yeah. So like, so like I assume they're just getting everything they want. Like they're first in line for any capacity for manufacturing anyway. Right. Well, as Samsung and Apple probably are the two big ones. Yeah. Right. So, so so it makes me wonder if the coronavirus, you know, the impact we're starting to see manufacturing start cranking back up again in China. Finally, um, and I, I had written this question. I don't think it's a good question now that I think about it a little bit more. But if Apple has to choose between Mac and iPhone for 
ARM chips, obviously iPhone's going to win. Yeah, that's the bulk of the business, right? But but also the number of Macs Apple sells in a year is a rounding error compared to the number <laughs> of iPhones that they sell. Right. So probably it doesn't matter. Yeah. Probably they can make both. There is a, I don't know if you saw, there is a, a short, um, I just, I had it and I lost it, a short passage in that, I don't know, this is a Bloomberg story. Have we been saying Business Insider this whole time? Yeah, it's Bloomberg. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry this is a Bloomberg we'll put a link story. In the show notes. Um, here it is. The switch away from Intel is complex, requiring close collaboration between Apple's software, hardware, and component sourcing teams. Given work uh, from home orders and disruptions in the company's Asia-based supply chain, the shift could be delayed according to their sources. I I mean, I think that makes sense. So yeah, there is some speculation about that already. They've spent a lot of time on this. They're clearly not going to do it until it's ready. I think, um, if it happens, it's a a balancing act, right? Yeah, it it really is. And, and like, if they roll like right now, I think this, this said, and there was an analyst, I can't remember who it was, but it's somebody who was on my list of the good analysts and not the bad (laughs) analysts. Um, said uh looking at first half 2016 uh-huh. sorry 2021 um which means they would announce it at wwdc this year and then we would get some sort of developer preview probably for ipads later in the year maybe even in the summer yeah and that would give people six months to a year to update their apps um i i I think that feels aggressive given what we know now, but, but since there are also been rumors that they're going to hold off on flagship phones this year, maybe, maybe they hold off on flagship phones, roll this out for the, for the, for the uh, Mac. And it lets them, I mean, the thing that, the thing that rolling out all of the same processor at the same time does is it doesn't give them time to scale fabrication. So if you like, look at how Nvidia rolls out new GPUs, they usually pick one SKU and often it's the high end, but sometimes it's the low end if they're moving to a new process. Yeah. So they'll like they'll take a late late cycle die refresh of a mid range part, like a twenty sixty level part, and they'll move it to the next process size down, which will make it run cooler and more efficiently at the same TDP, um, or run faster at the same TDP. And then they'll test out that process on the on the on the old chip before they spin up the new chip that uses the process by default. Right. And I don't think. I haven't seen any indications that Apple has an, a way to do that with with this stuff. Yeah. A- anytime you move to a new process tech, it's scary. Um, and moving from from ten or seven to five nanometers is is a pretty substantial jump. So yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Can they actually, from an investor standpoint, can they afford to not refresh flagship phones for a whole extra year? I think. I mean, look, I don't know what's going to happen in two weeks. You're asking about something that's going to happen in four months. <laughs> yeah, so. I just I have to assume that constitutes enough of their bottom line that I mean, they've got, you know, they've got earnings reports to worry about at some point. Right. Is it worse to not is it worse to make a billion phones and sell 250 million or not sell 250 million phones and not have 750 billion phones on <sighs> 750 are... million phones on on your on your books? Right. If I can, if I can answer that question, I would be a. We'd be making a lot more money. Might be a CFO somewhere or something like that. Exactly. Hey, Probably. speaking of, I think this is as good a place as any to wrap it up. Yeah, it's a time to do. time to thank our CFO. I was. I think we should thank our CFO. <laughs> um, I'm going to take a moment because I need to make sure we haven't gotten any new. I didn't do this before the show, so we'll cut this pit up, bit out. What if we just kept talking right through it? We could keep talking through it, and people could hear me type. People love behind the scenes. I have 
that lesson has been reinforced to me over and over for the last six or seven weeks that we've been doing this. That I don't think there is anything to inside baseball. Oh, well, there you go. For people to be interested in hearing. I'm typing in a two-factor code right now. It's very exciting. Fascinating. Two-factor login on our Patreon. So, hackers, beware. Um, We, hold on, I'm still looking. Takes a minute. Just got to fill that dead air. Yeah, keep going. Just got to keep talking about how we're using, uh, we're trialing uh, Jitsi for this remote podcast. Instead of the Discord and Hangouts combo of Doom. I think it worked really well. On. I think it's pretty good. It looks I, like, first of all, I, man, I fucking, I know it's a hassle and a headache most of the time, but I love open source software because this thing is basically Google Hangouts, except that we were able to get really good detailed information about whether we had a peer to peer connection going. Yeah. Um, we were we able turn to turn off AGC. Yeah. We were able to uh, turn off the automatic gain control by specifying a uh, switch in, or an argument in the URL for the meeting. Yep. Like they give you control and options that you just don't have with most commercial products. This is I, dangerously close to an advertisement. We don't we don't accept advertisements no, here. No. This is uh, this call that we're in right now to record this podcast is literally the first time we've used this product. We don't yes. have any association. But also again, it's a free product. So But do you know you know who we do thank instead of advertisers, Brad? Who's that? We thank our patrons. Yeah. Our, All of our them. I'm sorry, our what? Patrons. Yes. Can I do it again. Those. Nope. We're good. Keep yeah, um, uh, especially so everybody. Thank you to everybody who contributes to the Tech Pod Patreon. Uh, yes. The URL is www.patreon.com slash tech pod. Um, and a special thanks uh, this week to our executive producers, Andrew Cotton and David Allen. Thank you guys yeah. so much. Yes. Uh, and if you would like to find out how to support the podcast yourself and get access to our behind the scenes episodes, like the very first one, which went up last week, which was about planning. Yeah. And only planning. We did not talk about anything else. Oh, just plans for the podcast. Certainly not the breaking news that happened right in the middle of it where I got my Ram from Portugal. We did not talk about Ram from Portugal. We did not talk about misters. We did not talk about. Definitely didn't open that thing right there in the middle of the recording. (laughs) Nope. And we didn't talk about other stuff that came up along the way. There were no distractions. Nope. It was a hundred percent focused conversation about May podcasts. Yep. Um, and you can you can get access to that if you subscribe to the pat, uh, to the Patreon <laughs> as well as the TechPod Discord, <sighs> which is fa- it's a, it's it is con- consistently wonderful. Oh yeah, I would not have gotten Neo Geo up and running on the Mister last night as fast as I did if I hadn't been able to ask for help because that was a real boondoggle. I. Every time I dip into the there's like three channels that I check in like once a week, maybe twice a week just to kind of see what's going on. Yeah. And the Internet broadcasting, the music creation and uh, the Mr. Channels have all taught me stuff in the last week that I did not know. And it's been very good. The uh, the Linux channel is a pretty great place to ask questions about stuff like that. Uh, I find and you can get access to the Discord for like two bucks a month. So yeah. uh, highly recommend. It's techpod.com slash Patreon. I guess that'll do it for us this week. Yeah. See you all next week. 